Welcome back to part two of Biblical Pastoral Authority here at Rants and Revelations. Thank you again for joining us. Please like, subscribe, and leave some comments for us on whatever platform that you like listening on. Also, please email any questions you might have to the number four rants and revelations at gmail.com. And we'd love to do a QA episode where we answer some of your questions in an episode. So, having said all that, here's part two of Biblical Pastoral Authority. Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity and to protect those who may not want their information given out. So what is some of the weight as the two pastors in the room? Because as the pastor, as under-shepherd, you do hold authority over the flock. So what's the balance between having that authority over the flock as an under-shepherd, but then also having the um, subjugation of being under Christ like the rest of the flock? Mm. How do you balance that? So I wrote an outline of my own. Love it. <laughs> and I don't mean to hijack the show, but I actually, I actually wrote um, four ways that pastoral exor- authority is exercised. And three ways that it is limited are the words that I used. Throw it out. Um, And I want input as we go through. But (laughs) um, pastoral authority is exercised in service. So uh, elders, we as elders and pastor interchangeably. Can we agree on on that? So elders or pastors are first to be first and foremost servants of the congregation. They are called to shepherd. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 15 and 16, uh, Paul commends to the Corinthians a guy named Stephanus, and it says that he has devoted himself to the servants, to the service of the saints. And then the next verse, Paul says, submit yourself to such a person. And so like the qualification for Stephanus to be submitted to hmm. was the service that he provided to the people that he was given mm-hmm. charge over, if you will, given mm-hmm. this exampling time. Christ to its fullest in some ways. Yeah, we submit to him as the best servant of all. We submit to him. Yeah, and he did not come to be served, but, but to, to serve, serve. Mm-hmm. and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. Yeah, and as under shepherds of Christ, that's uh, to a much lesser degree not to the salvation of their souls, obviously, but that is what we're called to do. We're yeah. called mm-hmm. to give ourselves. Mm-hmm. up for mm-hmm. them to serve them to mm-hmm. you know wash feet and to mm-hmm. pray and to all of that so the, the church is not there to promote my brand and to help me build my kingdom yeah. rather the the pastor is there to serve the flock and amen to be there in the midst of the needs that they have yeah yeah one of my favorite things that i got to do during covid was and this there's more to service than this but one of my favorite things i got to do during covid was to uh to give out what i called the uh our i won't use our church's name but <laughs> the the church stimulus plan and uh, we were actually blessed during the the time of covid financially our giving went up mm. and so folks who were out of work uh, i was able to deliver thousand dollar checks to to people to like help them wow. get through that time and it was like man that was better than any sermon i ever yeah. preached you know? <laughs> like, you're like a regular ed mcmahon like walking to the front door and, you know and handing an envelope with a <laughs> check inside of it i had big no i didn't yeah. have oh, big novelty checks Fail. <laughs> but that kind of you know just that kind of idea that that wasn't it wasn't my money i didn't you know it's not patting myself on the back that's that's mm. the the people of god rising up and and yeah. doing that and so uh, so pastoral authority is exercised in service. The next one I had is uh, pastoral authority is exercised in keeping watch. Hebrews 13 indicates that it's the pastor elders who are charged with keeping watch over the souls of the congregation. Mm. 
And it says, as those who will give an account. So those of us in pastoral ministry are going to someday give an account for the souls that we watched mm-hmm. over. Mm. That feels weighty to me. That that shakes me every time mm. <laughs> I read that, to be honest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are some decisions that the people that I shepherd make that I'm like, I don't want to have to give an account for that, <laughs> for that decision he just made, mm. you know? Um, the extra bitey sheep. Well, mm. yeah, and they're mm. not doing it. I'm not, they're not even doing it like out of spite or whatever. It's like, I just don't think it was a wise biblical decision. And you didn't ask my opinion and, you know, I didn't give it, but I'm still going to be held, I'm still going to be held accountable for mm. the decision mm. that you made. And so, um, it's a, it's a harrowing thing to think that I'd be held accountable for the souls of people who don't allow elders and pastors into their lives. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think that's what it means to be, to, uh, submit to them so that their job is done with joy we know the text tells us that the scriptures tell us that we are to, as as congregants, are to be to be such people that it's a joy for the pastor to lead them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's the I think that's a part of that mm-hmm. is being responsible with mm-hmm. you know yeah. how the, mm-hmm. the pastor's going to answer for your yeah. And just just to clarify that you're you're not implying that. Um, people under your care in your congregation need to run every decision by no, you. No. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. But when you say that the pastor is accountable for the souls of the people, what does that mean to you? Um, I think it means that I, the, the elders and I are responsible for um, picking up on places where our congregants might be say idolatrous, mm. uh, you know, where they're, Hey, I noticed you're, you're spending a lot of money on this particular thing. or you, you know, uh, this thing seems to take precedent over church attendance mm. or whatever the, whatever the case may be and, and being willing to call those things out, not letting people go on in sin, yeah. but in, in being bold enough and, and courageous enough to call people mm-hmm. on their sin and, and not in a judgment sort of way, but calling them to be reconciled to God, like in their relationship to mm. sin, you know, the sin in our lives hinders our closeness with the Lord and mm. to confess that sin and to repent of that sin and to trust in the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, that's what it means for me to keep watch over their souls. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when I see them, you know, always chasing the next thing, mm. you know, mm-hmm. always chasing a bigger house, always chasing the higher paying job, always chasing the, the upgraded iPhone or always chasing, you know, whatever the case is, it's like, Hey, maybe that, maybe there's nothing wrong there, but maybe there's something wrong mm. there. Mm. And let's have a discussion about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. The soul is the immaterial part of the human being. And you know, it's the, the seat of longing and it's the, it's the place where, you know, we lift our, what's, what's the Psalm. We won't lift our souls up to another. It's a place of desire. Yeah. Right. And as you mention all those things and talk about those things, it really does imply and require a great level of intimacy of really, really knowing people. And that, that's a, that's hard work. Mm-hmm. That, that is a lot of involvement and people will shy away. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody wants to be known at mm-hmm. that level. And, you know, we're, we're trying at church a to really reinforce to, to revisit and to be refreshed and to reinforce what the meaning of church membership is and that it really is covenant community and that we really come to understand that we need to watch over one another and the pastors are just being examples in what the whole body of Christ is meant to be doing. Amen. The pastor can, the, the pastors, the elders, even if you have a plurality of five, six guys, 
to know 200 people at that level? That, that's a challenge. It can be, it couldn't be done, but praise God that the body of Christ is to be that which builds itself up in love and pastors are to equip the church that they might care want for one another at that level as well. Mm. And so ministry gets multiplied, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That sounds daunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, just hearing you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, respect. Yeah, much so. <laughs> And also, I can understand how, sorry to cut you off, Steve, um, someone coming out of an abusive context mm-hmm. um, is probably going to have a hard time being uh, trusting of leadership yeah, for a while. Totally. So, you know, hearing language like having an intimate knowledge of your life and being called on your sin, those are actually very godly and good things. Um, within a healthy, loving context. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, if you've been in an abusive situation, have experienced that in a very, very toxic way where you're being manipulated, you're being gaslighted. Mm -hmm. Um, And what would you say to someone coming out of an abusive context, you Mm -hmm. know, who's maybe struggling with? When I do um, premarital counseling and really not just premarital uh, but it, it really gets because you know I'm probing in deep with couples, and th- this is also the case with others. I let them know up front. You can tell me as much or as little as you feel like you're free to tell me. Um, I'm here for your good. I want to help, but I'm not going to keep trying to probe into things that you're not ready to share with me. And so, you know, hmm. often people here. Um, you can tell you you could feel safe to tell me as much as you want. You know, you could tell me everything. And but I've noticed that sometimes they're like, "Oh, as little?" Hmm. I want people to share things with me because they have come to a place where they feel like they can trust me. Hmm. Not that they feel like I am just like pressuring them to share their deepest and darkest struggles. Yeah. And so you know, we come to trust one another with time mm-hmm. and, and, uh, humility tends to beget humility. And so when the pastor is willing to have a appropriate level of vulnerability saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm a man battling sin too. You know, yeah, you, that tends to bring freedom to others to share. Okay. Yeah. I've got some struggles myself. One of the things I noticed, um, with Tom was he was the hero of every story when he gave personal anecdotes or personal illustration. It was always look at how wonderfully I handled this situation. And I, for many years had an opposite response to that where I was the goat (laughs) of every story where I was like, look at how poorly I handled this situation. I think there's a good balance to be had there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it's not a, you know, we need to be very clear that we're not on some different, we're not on some different level as you talked about with yes. humility. It's like, yes, that is one of the, one of the other places that I had that authority is exercised in humility. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, that word is actually never used to describe the characteristic of pastor and elder, mm-hmm. but it says that, they should not be domineering and that they are not to be quarrelsome and that they're not to be quick tempered or arrogant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So while the word is, while it's not used positively, a a pastor elder should be humble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The off the opposite characteristics are given to not be those things. (laughs) Don't be arrogant. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be quick tempered, you Mm -hmm. know, which means be humble. Yeah. Right. And so. yeah, the, the, yeah. J- just to bounce off what you just said in some of the impressions that you had of Tom and yeah, I, I, that, that was one of my red flags is just, just the impression that I had was that he was either viewing himself or presenting himself as someone who had reached maturity, um, both doctrinally and behaviorally. It's like, okay, I've, it, and I, I don't know what was in his heart, but I just know the impressions that were received. Okay, I've reached maturity, and I'm going to help you 
be mature. Never any sense of, hey, man, here's something that I'm struggling with, and here's an area of weakness. Uh-uh. Um, there, were, there were these two dudes in the church back then. Love these guys. Two more in their... Their families that were part of the exodus out of California, doggone it. But um, they were there in the midst of all that. And um, they come they come to me and they say, Jeff, hey, man, we're, we're doing accountability breakfast every, every Friday morning. And we're getting up early. We're at this restaurant at 6 a.m. And we'd like for you to join us. And, you know, we, we just want to share our struggles, struggles with each other and talk about the things we're tempted with and areas where we feel like we're falling short and we need help. And yeah, we're, we're going to be the strugglers. You, you can, we just wanted to see if you wanted to, that's what we're calling it. The strugglers. Yeah. The, the, we want, we want to help each other through it. And they, they invited me to be a part of it. And I said, yeah, they said, yeah, we, we asked, we asked Tom and he said, well, I, I'm not really dealing with any struggles, but I'll help you guys with yours. Yikes. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> okay. And, and that, that's just kind of the, the, um, the, the aura or whatever word that you want to get, you know, describe it with. Elders are always described in a plurality. And the eldership needs to be a place of gospel community because each person, each man sitting at that table is still dealing with sin in himself. And we need to minister the gospel to one another. That's why it says in Acts 20, was it verse 28? Paul is pouring himself out upon the Ephesian elders once again. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock of God. The elders and the pastors of the church need to help each other in their struggles with sin. This is something that we've been learning in recent years at Church A, that we really need to be first and foremost in the team of elders, a gospel community. And we have not arrived yet. We're still learning to trust each other, right? So even there, it's not like, I, I, I don't know that it's full-on, full-blown disclosure with every struggle, with every temptation, with every blunder and sin. But we're growing in that because we remain, as long as we have sin living in us, we remain a danger to ourselves and to the church, and we need the rescuing ministry of the gospel and the grace of God. And that starts with the elders being able to say to one another, yes, I, I need to be growing as a man of God in holiness, but I'm still struggling with sin. Mm-hmm. And the different men at the table will have different areas of struggle. One might struggle with areas of illicit pleasure, another with materialism, another with pride and power. Some get their endorphin release when they get to tell other people what to do. And we need to have the brotherhood where we can confess that to each other, be in the light and help each other out. And that's, that's huge. That's key. The, The eldership needs to be a gospel community. I think that's what it means to be above reproach. It doesn't mean to be perfect. Who's perfect? Jesus. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. Right. Je- only Jesus was perfect. But when, when Paul says that the elder needs to be above reproach, yeah. that means that he's open with his other elders mm-hmm. about his struggles so that when a congregant comes and says, hey, Pastor Lance does this, the elder goes, I know. I know. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. I'm aware. Yes. You know? Yeah. And and that's what it is to be above reproach. It's not that there's anything hiding behind, you know, and when and when you put on this air of perfection or maturity yeah. as you were mm-hmm. saying with with Tom, then there's not like this there's not an above reproachness. Yeah, that's like that's, beyond reproof. That's beyond reproof. Which yes. is totally mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Interesting. It's a yeah. good distinction. It is a good distinction. Yeah. I, I love that's, – that's so good, Lance. And I love how Paul in that, that passage, he just pours his heart out. And you know, he talks about how – remember, you know, talking about in this sense how from among the, the elders, there would be those who would rise up potentially and dr- seek to draw disciples away after themselves. Mm-hmm. Man, they have this pride in them. I want to be admired. I want to be the guru. I'm the man. You know, let me, that, that kind of thing. Paul says, I've been 
just pleading with years, warning the elders about what still resides within them. And he says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, including the leaders, the pastors, the elders. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of those who are being sanctified. We need the word of grace. We need the word of mm. grace. We need the gospel. The gospel is absolutely central you know, in its power to um, justify us before God, first and foremost. That's what's absolutely the marquee of this. all of this. It saves us from the penalty of sin. And that, that's the that's the salt. That, 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 that's the tomatoes in the salsa right there, right? Mm. And the, there's gospel grace to help us with the power of sin, ultimately in heaven from the presence of sin. Um, so we need to cultivate that sense of humility by the Spirit saying, hey, he has power to make us grow in maturity, but let's not view ourselves as having arrived. We still got struggles mm. that we need to be helping each other with. Amen. Yeah. Um, another way that pastoral authority is exercised, and I, I want to be careful with, <laughs> I want to qualify. It first. Mm-hmm. Um, but another way that pastoral authority is exercised is in preaching. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we are called to be confident yes. and authoritative yes. in the pages of scripture. It's mm-hmm. not, I'm not confident and authoritative in my own message. Mm-hmm. I'm confident and authoritative in rightly dividing the word of truth and presenting it to the people. Bring the book, baby. Bring the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so one of the ways that pastoral exor- authority is exercised is to, is to be confident yes. of what you teach in uh, second, no, not second Timothy in Titus, uh, chapter two, actually, um, chapter one, Titus chapter one, where he gives the qualifications of elders mm-hmm. in verse nine, it says that you must be firm in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who, mm-hmm. yeah, who mm-hmm. teach diff- false, te- you know, who are false teachers. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have this sense of authority in that yeah. regard. It's not an authority that's lorded over people. It's not an authority that's, you know, uh, we're not the prophets. We're not the, you know, those kinds of things. I don't walk into to the palace of King Ahab and declare that there's going to be a drought. <laughs> you know, that's not my, that's not my job anymore, um, as Elijah did in First Kings. But, um, but it is a like this is the word of the Lord. I am so thankful that when I'm doing it right, when I'm preaching correctly. And a congregant comes after the service and has a complaint or a dispute with something that I said, I just hand them the text. And I just, I just go, tell me what that says. Mm-hmm. And if, if I've preached correctly, all I've done is said, look at that text mm-hmm. and this is what it says. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it's not like I have to defend myself I just lay the text before them and let God defend himself. Yeah. You know, that's freeing. It's I, very freeing. I think it would it's be. very freeing. It's why I preach expositorily. I don't preach, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I don't preach topical sermons. Uh, I preach expositorily. I preach, uh, you know, book by book, verse by verse, sure. because I can just go, that's, yeah, that's what it says. Same. That's, that's our approach to you. Yeah. I'm on, on this topic in, in, some book somewhere, there's an author that uses the language of the pastor elders. And, you know, we're talking about authority and there's the authority of command and there's the authority of counsel. And, um, that's, that's a distinction. I'm not sure if I'm using it the same way that he is in his book, (laughs) but when it comes to preaching the word of the Lord, that's the authority of command, just correctly dividing the word, and we need that. The church needs that. Um, Al Mohler has used the language saying, okay, it's not, it's not that we as a people 
have just lost our moral compass. We have lost our moral sanity. It, it is just a free-for-all here in the Western world. And we are cut from that fabric, and that is in the air that we live in. And there's still that which lingers in our hearts that likes personal autonomy, being the Lord of our own lives. I'm going to define what marriage is for myself. I'm going to do my sexuality how I want to do my sexuality. I'll use my speech how I want to use my speech. If I want to tell somebody off, I'll just go ahead and tell them off because that gratifies me. There's just this attitude and that still lives, that could rise up in us. And so we need the pastor and the preacher and the teacher to step up and say, this is the will of the Lord for defining who God is and defining how he has called us to live. And so we've just got to lay it out, both doctrinally and morally, what the teaching of Scripture is. And as we lay out the law of the Lord, as the Holy Spirit's working, we pray that hearts tremble before it, saying, I break the law of the Lord every day, and I want to, and I like to. I need God to change my heart. And that's what sends us into the mercy of the arms of the Savior, who, who redeems, who cleanses, who transforms. But it starts with the, the, the pastor preaching boldly, this is the will of the Lord. And in, in a day of moral relativism, where this sense of autonomy is just in the fabric of our world, our, our church can have that, 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 could, that could seep into the church, and once a little bit of leaven gets into the lump, it just it expands. So pastors need, need to preach. There is um, the reality of church discipline. That's hard. Um, now, the pastor does not have power to commu- excommunicate, but pastors and elders need to be leading the charge when there's clear defiance, Right. That's hard, but that's a reality. And there's ultimately it's the congregation who would take that ultimate measure of church discipline, not pastors themselves, according to my understanding mm-hmm. of Scripture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, amen, Lance, man, in preaching with authority, God calls us to do that. Preach the word, bring amen. the book, open it up, yep. declare what it says, yep. and then send people into the loving arms of Jesus who mm-hmm. forgives and who has the, the power to build up and to help us to image forth the goodness of the Lord. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and I, I periodically remind uh, the congregation that I shepherd of, you know, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuke, for training, and for correcting in righteousness. That it's God breathed. These words that we're reading, these are the God breathed words. I didn't write this. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't me. Mm-hmm. And then in first, uh, Second Peter 1, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but mm-hmm. men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Yeah. That, that this book is not even the opinion of other men. It's not only not my opinion, it's not the opinion of other men. This Mm. is God's word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the authority that I bring to the table is not my authority. It's the authority of God's word. Amen. I'm under the authority. I'm under that authority. Mm -hmm. Of what, yeah, it's preaching to me every bit as much as it's preaching to everybody else. It's like, hey, I'm standing before everybody saying, this is what God is saying to us. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Insofar that we are correctly dividing the word. And what we're getting into here is a little bit of that distinction, again, between prophesying Mm. and being a prophet. Mm. You're not putting yourself forth as the fount of truth. You're saying, thus says the Lord. Mm -hmm. And this is for the building up of the body. Mm. And Jeff, I heard you kind of, you didn't say it, but you were talking about law gospel distinction. A yeah. little bit. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of picked up on that. Mm-hmm. How you you're you're bringing the law to show us as a mirror yes. who we are, and then drive us to Christ. Yes, Amen. I'm not bringing mm-hmm. the law to bludgeon, but there is a sense in which it it bludgeons, and yeah. then it brings us into the healing grace of Christ. We need mm-hmm. to see the problem, yeah. and then we fall into by by God's grace the solution, who is Jesus, and the law is the instrument that sends us into his arms. Right. Yeah. And I pray mm-hmm. often that I'm never the reason that anybody's offended or turned off. Uh, but I also recognize that the scripture is offensive mm. to our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The fact that the scripture carries authority and says, no, you don't get to decide what gender you are. 
No, you don't yeah. get to decide what happens with the clump of cells in your body. Mm-hmm. No, you don't get to decide yeah. what you know what marriage is. Mm-hmm. This has all been decided by God. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's offensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope that my my method of delivering that truth is not what offends people. Yeah. But that if they're offended, they're offended by the word. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the. Mm-hmm. It's hard to distinguish. Yeah. That sometimes when you're the offended party, Amen. you know, it's often, <laughs> yeah. well, he offended me, yeah. you know, and I go. I Not only is it offensive, but the, in, in, in the eyes of the, the one who still has the veil over, you know, the, the, the veil is still there. It's not only offensive, but it's foolish. It's just yeah. folly. What are mm. these guys talking about? Yeah. Give me a stupid. break. It torques them off and they just shake their heads and roll yeah. their eyes. And then the Holy Spirit removes the veil and their hearts tremble. And they're like, oh, send me to Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. thank you for bringing me to the, the, the risen king. Yeah. And then it's like, I'm foolish. Yeah. I, I'm the fool who needs wisdom from the heart of Amen. God. But man, my paradigms were all messed up. You know? Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have the authority of pastors is limited yeah. in at least three ways. The first way that it's limited is by the scriptures. So we do not have absolute authority. We only have authority that's given to us. By God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> we only have the authority given to us by God and his word. Uh, therefore, when we stray from the word, um, we abandon our God-given authority. And that's what I feel that, you know, I think it was the last episode, Mike, you were talking about you felt this obligation to go back and mm-hmm. talk to Tom and tell him why you were not you know, going to be coming anymore and all this kind of stuff. And then you realized later, like you had no obligation to him and there, and you're right. You had no obligation to him. And the reason that you had no obligation to him is because he was not exercising an authority that was consistent with scripture. Hmm. He was lording it over. He was domineering. Yeah. He was, he had disqualified. He had himself. disqualified himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so over shepherding, over shepherding instead of under shepherding. Mm. I love that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. There's, the authority of command, and then I, I'm even cautious to use the word authority of counsel, you know, but it's not only going to come from the elders and pastors of the church. We've got to have a high view of the body of Christ. I love Colossians 3.16, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and understanding, and then you sing together as well. There, there are areas of life where we counsel each other, we give each other advice. Christians do that, and pastors and elders do that too. But when it comes to just offering guidance in various issues of life, it doesn't carry that same authority. Yeah, so um, some people homeschool their kids, others choose to do um, homeschool, others public school, some private school. Pastors don't have authority to decide for families which kind of school they're going to do, which job they're going to take, what school they're going to go to. They can counsel and they ought to counsel, you know, but the, the pastor ought not, ought not get all ruffled and his nose bent out of shape when somebody seeks counsel or even just decides according to wisdom they discern they're receiving from the Lord and they go in another direction, right? And so there are a lot of areas of life where... You, you, uh, pastors can clothe themselves and become dictators, hmm. clothing themselves with authority in areas where they don't really have that authority to make decisions. Yeah. Uh, pastoral authority is limited by the nature of shared leadership. Yep. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the pastor is not the dictator. <laughs> He's not yeah. the, the one and only, you know, it's not a monarchy. It's not an oligarchy. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a plurality, as as you've said a couple of times, Jeff. It's a plurality of elders. It's a to borrow, you know, words from our nation's founding. It's a checks and balances mm. kind of system um, where uh, you know I've got I've got men around me who will tell me when I'm being a fool mm. and who will tell me when you know, hey, you said something in your sermon today that I don't think you meant. Because I know you, <laughs> you know, I don't think you meant it the way we took it anyway. And you probably need to offer more clarity in that. Uh, and they feel 
comfortable and mm-hmm. confident enough to come and, and tell me those things. And so uh, the biblical example of church government is not to set up uh, an aristocracy, but it is that each local congregation should have a plurality of, of pastors and elders. There's no example in the New Testament where one pastor or elder leads a congregation. Mm-hmm. There's a plurality. Um, uh, on that elders. note, there's a philosophy or an idea first among equals where you have a plurality of elders, but there's one who maybe is more the visionary, one who maybe steers the ship a little more clearly in direction. And I've heard the phrase first among equals used within the elder context. So speak to that. Um, Would you consider that biblical? Okay. What are some potential issues with it? What are some goods that can come from that as the resident pastors in the podcast studio? Yeah, I I think, I think that's a, a fair expression. Um, you you consider the fact that often it's a plurality of elders and the pastors that let, let's say it's a plurality of five men four of them are working 40 50 60 hours a week out in their vocations and then you have a full-time pastor that's there devoted to church work and contemplation and prayer and it, just by virtue of the fact that he has the time you know to you know, um, just devote himself to plans for the church. Yeah. It may very well be that they look to him to provide some of that leadership and some guidance in that way. Um, that being the case, he's got to be accountable. Yeah. It can be a painful thing when you, um, as a as a pastor, you dream up some dreams and you have some ideas, and the men that you're serving with, they're like, no, we're not seeing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your job then is not to rebuke those men, but to be humble, ask God for humility and say, okay, I'll take that to heart with God's help. And, you know, so so there's this implicit trust within the team that we need God to cultivate in us. Um, because I've used the, the word ego several times. Oh boy, man. Whenever we have ideas and those ideas get contested, we can see how egotistical we are. We get all wounded. And there needs to be that understanding. If there's this first among equals, these men are, in fact, equals. And they can push back. And we can't get in a ruffle when they do. Mm. You know, we've got to be subject to the critique of our brothers. And sometimes that's hard. Mm. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson was in a depression after the first draft of the Declaration of Independence got apart by the other dudes on the committee and we just being honest man it could hurt it could be hard absolutely but even as a first among equals these guys are equals yeah and that's what comes to my mind steve and there's also the reality that uh if there's pushback from the congregation on a decision that's been made Mm -hmm. most of that pushback is going to be directed towards the pastor Mm -hmm. Mm even though it's a plurality of elders who have made that decision, the way that the congregation sits and looks at the man standing on the stage, you know, 45 Sundays out of the year, um, that's the person they're going to go to with their complaints. And so sort of in the first among equals category is like – we have an unwritten, our, our elders have an unwritten rule amongst ourselves that we have to be unanimous when we make decisions regarding, it's not a majority rule, let's put it that way. When we make decisions regarding the direction of the church, things like that, we have to be unanimous. Uh, and in particular, um, as the, I hate using this word, but like as the face yeah. of the church, uh, I have to f- be able to fully sign off on what is being yeah. on w- what is because if I'm going to take the hits and I'm happy to do it, that's I believe that's what I'm part of what I'm called to do is to take those hits. Uh, then I've got to buy in to the decisions that are being made, hmm. and so there. So we have this unwritten sort of idea that there's a that there's a unanimous decision that's mm-hmm. made, and and sometimes that slows the process down. It slows the decision making down sometimes because we've got to we spend time working out with each other what 
we mm. think is right until we can all come to an agreement and we give and take everybody gives and takes and you know mm. and then we decide what that mm. what that is but as the as the guy who's going to be fielding most of the complaints um I certainly have to mm. sign on the dotted line that that's something mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm willing to take the arrows for. You know, instead of being the the face of the church, brother Lance, how about being the mug of the church? There you go, the mug, the mug of the church, <laughs> the mug shot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but yeah. aren't there times? You know, let's say it's four to one and you're the one. Are there times where you're like, okay, I'm not seeing it, and you the where we need to say God has given wisdom and I don't see, maybe I'm blind to what's good here. Hey, do you, does it have to wait until you're fully convinced or are there times No, it's where happened. You're... That's happened a bunch of times with yeah, us yeah. where it's, it's that, you know, yeah. it's three to one, four to one. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Or somebody else. Yeah. Like yeah. any, I'm talking any, yeah, but of the I'll, team. I'll, cause I don't, I don't know what goes through the hearts and minds of the other guys, but yeah. I can just tell you from my perspective that there's been times where it was, you know, I was the one dissenter yeah. and I'm going, I gotta be, I, I gotta be missing something yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And I trust the Holy spirit in those men. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. so therefore I can sign off on this yeah. because I trust the spirit in those men. And I, and I know my own, you know, I know my own propensity to fight for what I wanted in yeah, the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so, that's, so you don't just fire your elders. I don't just fire my <laughs> not yet. My not a good yeah. idea. So, Lance, we've seen that pastoral authority is limited by the scriptures primarily, um, by the nature of shared leadership. What's mm-hmm. the next point in the? I got one more. It's shared by the. Uh, it's limited to their congregation. So I have no authority over Church A. I only have authority over my congregation yeah. <laughs> right i don't i can't just walk into your guys's churches and demand some kind of authority because i'm a pastor right that that title even is <laughs> limited to the people that have that god has placed in my congregation mm-hmm. like the title of pastor shepherd elder i only can do that to the people that God has prov- that doesn't mean I don't provide counsel or offer wisdom or biblical, you know, direction when people call me or you know or whatever that aren't part of my church that are just friends of mine. Um, but I don't have any. I don't. I'm not. First of all, I don't have to answer for their souls, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, and I'm not going to have any pastoral um, authority over them. And so, uh, the authority of the pastor does not exceed beyond the local church. Um, they minister to the flock that's given to them. Yeah, isn't that in Timothy where doesn't Paul say that to Timothy to shepherd the flock under your care? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the specific group that has been given to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and as obviously as as a Hmm. collective body of believers, uh, if I see a brother or sister at Church A that's in sin, obviously I'm going to, say something about that. I don't just let that go because they're not my people, but I can't, I can't be the one we had. I'll give you an antidote. We had a, a, a young couple that left, they left to the church. Um, and it was after they left my church, started going to another church that they felt comfortable to come back to me. The husband felt comfortable to come back to me and share, uh, some struggles that he was having. And I'm like, I, you need to go to the, to the elders and pastors of the church that you're at right now. I can't walk you through that, you know? And, yeah. and, and it's not that I can't. I certainly have the ability to, but I'd be doing my church members a disservice if I gave my time and effort to sheep that are not of my fold, mm. right? Mm. Like, I'm, I could be a better shepherd to the sheep of my fold if I'm not wasting Mm. time trying to shepherd somebody else's sheep. <laughs> and so uh, as as well cared for as my sheep may feel, I could care for them even better if I focus on just the sheep that are given to me. Mm. Yeah. And so. Mm. Yeah, especially in terms of asserting authority, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. the affairs of other churches. We've got our own sphere of of ministry and focus and labor that we need to keep our attention on. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, man. 
there's this body that in this this allotment that God has entrusted to us, and that needs to be where our eyes are primarily focused. And and here's kind of a thought that I've been having about authority in general. Uh, as far when I say authority in general, biblical authority. Uh, what we would understand to be complementarian authority in the home and biblical authority as a pastor in a church. If I shepherd my congregation after the principles that are laid out in scripture, and if I lead my wife according to the principles that are laid out in scripture, I think in both instances, God has designed them to joyfully submit to that kind of leadership. And what I mean by that is if, if I give myself up for my wife, like Christ gives himself up for the church, which is what we're called to do as husbands. If I give myself up for her, she's going to gladly submit to my authority. There were air quotes there. There were air quotes there, but <laughs> I don't need the air quotes because the Bible—that's the Bible, the biblical. That's term. true. You don't need so, the air quotes. <laughs> but she's going to gladly submit to that. It's, I'm not going to. If I have to demand submission, mm. I've failed in my leadership. Yeah. Mm. That's how I view it. Because if if I've if I've led properly, they will submit willingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And joyfully. Mm-hmm. But if I'm up there demanding that you submit to me. And that I'm in some sort of, you know, papal role or I'm in some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. prophetic role and you must submit to me because God has put me here, mm-hmm. um, then I have not led properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the paradigms in Philippians chapter 2. We have Christ laying down his life. I had a couple, they, they asked me if I would use that as the devotional in a wedding ceremony. And I just said, absolutely gladly, because that kind of, humble services at the heart of both ends of the marital role. Mm -hmm. A husband is laying his life down for his wife, just as Christ laid his life down for the church. Right. And then there's this appreciation and this respect that is born out of such love coming from the heart of the wife and she becomes radiant Mm -hmm. and then it's based on self-sacrificial leadership that cares, that, that has the other's best interest at heart, not wanting you know, the place on the throne or the recliner to be served, but has come in filled with the spirit to serve. And that's the, the, it has to be the work of the spirit. Can we acknowledge that we'll just be a bunch of selfish chumps if the spirit doesn't change our hearts? Amen. It has to be his work in us and he can do it and he does it. Yeah. He will do it. And he's good at it. He's good at <laughs> he's it. He's been doing it for a while. Yeah. It's kind of his jam. That is not his first it's rodeo. His jam. <laughs> it's his jam. Not his first rodeo. You guys are good, man. <laughs> man, you duped me in one, Michael. That one about about the Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons was that on the testament. air or was that not on the air? I can't remember. If oh, that yeah. Was a... No, that, that was during the podcast and it's yeah. definitely staying in. Stay oh, in. dude, oh, yeah. come on, man. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> Just went into the... <laughs> Sweating to the OT. <laughs> that was uh, Lance's. Yeah, sweating to the Old Testament. I love it. It would be a number one hit. <laughs> Stay at home moms everywhere. Cool. I need to download, download that. <laughs> Go get it. So a lot of what we've talked about is humility, patience, grace. Um, erring on the side of caution, I think, is a theme that we can put in there as well as far as giving the grace to our congregants and to the people, but there is a time to rebuke and to rebuke sharply. There's a time to work within the people and to bring the force and the weight of the gospel and the truth upon them. How, how does that look in church discipline? Um, how does that look for believers under your flock, unbelievers that are coming into the church or those who are false teachers, is our theme floating around Pastor Tom, goes, there's layers. Talk about some of those layers. Talk about pastorally how that looks um, in these different layers and how the pastor should use that authority appropriately in time of rebuke. That's hard. I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just lay it out there and be honest with you. I mean, you, you guys have had some serious, especially you, um, Mike and Steve, with someone who um, was very quick to assert authority 
and to rebuke even publicly from what you guys have been saying. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm sort of on the other side of the spectrum where I may have a tendency not to strongly rebuke and get all up in somebody's face when they really need it. That's hard. But, But it needs to come in areas where there's ongoing defiant sin that is going to, that has the potential to damage the flock and to hurt people within the church. Pastors are not the only ones who can be abusive in the church. Congregants can be abusive too. Yep. Um, Paul said to the Galatians, if you keep biting each other, you're going to devour each other. And you know, when, when harm is being done, you know, it's going to take some really strong leadership to come in and say, this is going to end and this is going to end now. Um, and then also when somebody's harming themselves, just rattling that cage, you know, the, the rebuke is a biblical um, form of communication. And because it's biblical, it is good. And sometimes people need to have a jolt sent deep into their soul to wake them up to the fact that they are harming themselves. Mm. So those times come and really it, it should never be, should never be a manifestation of sinful anger, but it should be something kind of like in the discipline of a child that is measured yet very, very, it's strong and it's severe. And it, look at what Jesus was doing. You know, it wasn't a sinful fit of rage when Jesus was rebuking there in the temple courts. But man, those were like thunderclaps hmm. being sent into the heart. It was serious. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, that that kind of communication, it is a struggle for me. That's where I need a plurality, to be with brothers who can help with that hmm. and do that. Because you, know, you have different, like in the, in the Reformation, you have Martin Luther, who's the thunder, and his friend Peter Melanchthon, who tended to come with a more gentle approach. In a plurality, it helps us to balance each other out, and we can help each other where we're strong and things like that. That's a roundabout answer. Yeah, so to, what I'm hearing basically yeah. is for you, Jeff, maybe that's something that's like break glass in case of emergency. Yeah. that This is not a normal form of communication you have with your congregants. The rebuke? Right. That's what I would say. Okay. Yeah, there, there, there are levels that lead into it. You know, there's admonition. Then there's reproof. A rebuke is a very stern, bold word that comes, and it is is strong, and it's meant to reverberate, right? So I think you lead up into a rebuke. It It could be that there's a situation where it is just so nuts. It is such a crazy thing that's happening where it's like, Stop! Right. Stop! What do you, you know? Yeah. So it could be immediate if it, the situation calls for it, but I would understand that it's something that's led into after prior warnings in a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, there are two instances where I actually saw a strength, and it, well, let me back up a minute. I think that we have miscalculated or misinterpreted strength to be like, stop, like this authoritative sort of fist pounding. Whereas the, the strength of being patient and shepherding someone through something or, or taking the time to, to pray that God changes their heart before I have to go talk to them <laughs> and try to do it. Mm. Um, you know, those types of things. I think that there's a, I think that that's a strength in leadership. Um, there are two instances that stand out in my mind, actually of Jeff that were these two instances. And I don't know if he wants me telling this story or not, but it's, it's getting told uh, <laughs> a very it. strong, say it on me, very strong leadership. And one was during the end of Pastor Tom's time at Church A, and the other one was after he had already left and, and you were then 
had kind of stepped into shepherding that church. Uh, the, <laughs> the one during his time there, uh, there was a there was a time where uh, the church bank account needed to be frozen so that uh, Tom didn't. Sp- Spend church's money or drain the church's bank account on little, the way up. Little tiny red flag. And so uh, the church bank account needed to be frozen. And so what they had to do was they there was staff members that had to sign a uh, a piece of paper that said they agreed to not receive their paychecks uh, because they can't draw mm. money out of the bank because they were. Do you remember this? I don't. I don't remember. I, I only know this because I was working for the Minister of Music at the time, and the church secretary came to our office and had him sign the, the document. So that's the only way I know that that, that, that was happening. But <laughs> Jeff was the only one to not just sign his name, but he also printed his name next to his signature. And the secretary said he wanted to make sure that there was no doubt who that was. <laughs> like John Hancock. And I really appreciated that. That was like, not only am I going to give my autograph that sometimes is unreadable in, in the way that we sign things, but I'm going to print my name next to it so that they know darn well who that person is, you know? And then there was a, there was a time after uh, Pastor Tom was gone and, and Pastor Jeff was shepherding uh, church A, and it was a Wednesday night. It was after a Bible study uh, that we had there, and I walked out of the, you know, we were having Bible study in the, the choir room, and I walked out into the foyer, and you were talking to this man, and I just saw you chuck your keys across the across the foyer, and you were very, like, I will not allow that kind of behavior here, and I was like, I'm going to turn around and go back in, the, <laughs> in there, um, but it was like, I walked out and I went, that's a side of Jeff that I had not seen before, but it's a side of Jeff that I appreciate. Like I felt more, I felt more secure knowing that you had the ability to do that, mm-hmm. but that you didn't always do that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the, the idea that, oh, he will do it if it's needed, mm-hmm. um, but that's not his first go-to made me more secure as one of his sheep. Hmm. So. That, well, that's meekness. Right. In action is meekness right. is power, power under control, control. Yeah. right? Mm. Not weakness. So mm. beware the wrath of a patient man. Yeah, mm. <laughs> <That's> true. Because <laughs> yeah. it get wrathful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've known both of you guys for a while, and I'm. I mean, we've probably rebuked each other more sharply than we've ever, I don't know, <laughs> to true. talk to someone else, <laughs> just as friends. But um, I think what I'm hearing both of you say, just to sort of uh, bring this to a little bit of a point, is that, yes, there's a place for that, but it's not your default mode. Mm. This is not, you don't walk around in rebuke mode. Yeah, and mm. and in Pastor Tom's situation, you preached a Sunday evening service. I don't remember the text. I don't remember the message, but I do remember the content was on what it means to love someone. Mm. And we were and and Pastor Tom was in attendance there. And I remember I was talking to you. There was a group of us talking afterwards and he came up and he said, you forgot the most important thing about loving someone is telling them when they're wrong. Mm. And I was just like, Oh, word. I don't know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it is loving mm-hmm. to tell someone when they're wrong, but I don't think I would label that as the most important mm-hmm. thing of loving someone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the scriptures would either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that how did Jesus? No greater love has a man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't say no greater love has a man than this than he tell his friends when they're wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Jesus didn't correct every single error that the disciples made either Mm. there was a lot of times where they were totally lost when he was talking about stuff and yeah he would say well he would explain but we don't have him going no idiot that's Mm. not what this is i mean there's a couple times where like get behind me satan Mm -hmm. you know to peter there's a few times where he does that but we don't see jesus just constantly correcting the disciples every single little error yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we've got plenty of errors that could be pointed out. I, I think it's kind of situational. Um, in, in my experience, there are 
a lot of people that are just really down on themselves. And I remember hearing a guy preach on Barnabas years and years and years ago from the book of Acts, and I just loved it. And it's just one phrase that the guy used has always stuck with me. He said, Barnabas had a quick and charitable eye to see and to point out the grace of God in others. Mm-hmm. And it is such a good thing to let people know, hey, God is at work in your life, and here's how I see it. Here's how, here, here's how I've been blessed and benefited by it. And I think that there are a lot of people that are moving around discouraged and just having that good word. Hey, actually, the Lord is using you and you're, he's using you to be a blessing to people. That, that really puts wind in sails. Mm-hmm. I like doing that. Um, but sometimes you have um, other struggles with sin where there's an individual who just, I mean, they... They they think that they're all that in a bag of chips, and <laughs> to use a s- silly phrase, um, taking it back to the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, that was my decade, dude. Hey, me too. Um, you know, and they they just feel like they can do no wrong, and you know maybe they need to have a little bit of something. You know, what's the scripture use the 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 person or even the church that's puffed up? Mm. Maybe maybe they need somebody who can say okay. You're you're not as dialed in as you might think that you are, and you know mm-hmm. there's something. There's sometimes pride and being puffed up needs to be deflated. Mm. Yeah, right? and I I yeah. remember you guys in previous episodes talking about Tom's focus on knowledge, mm. mm-hmm. and the scripture says that knowledge puffs, puffs up, up, but love builds up. Yeah, amen. And that's mm. it's kind of the difference in those two things. Yeah. yeah. I'll say this. I have grown as a result of people telling me about things about myself that I had no idea, you know, about myself, about little quirks and, you know, ticks that I have and tendencies, how I can come off to people, Uh, sometimes kind of nervous and rushed and hurried. And I just, (laughs) one time I was meeting with some friends and, you know, I, I, told them, yeah, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a relaxed, chill dude. And they, they literally started laughing like, no, Jeff on Sundays, you are rushing around like a man on a mission and you are not relaxed. And at first it, it punctured my pride. I had this view of myself like, Hey, I'm the chill, relaxed surfer pastor. That's, that's me. And no, actually, Jeff, you're hyper-focused, you're rushing around and it, it could make people a little bit nervous when you get into that when you go into jeffy land like that and it hurt <laughs> at home we call it tornado mode yeah, tornado yeah. mode man yep i had no idea and had they not told me i would have still been cruising around like a tornado you know and so we need that we, we don't see ourselves accurately you know we see ourselves about as accurately as in a funhouse mirror according to one author i really like and so yeah we, we need people to reveal to us some of our tendencies and our blind spots, Mm. but it's good to encourage people say, Hey, and here's how God is using your life for his glory. And here's how you're imaging forth the savior for people that are downtrodden. That can, that's just such a sweet ministry. That's, that's what I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So we've had a lot of good perspective on the pastoral authority Pastor Lance brought a great outline. If you want it, go to pastorlance.org, his own personal website. You can also donate to his yacht there. Neither of those exist. <laughs> yeah, PSA. Neither, neither exist yet. Yet. There's always the future. Forever. Forever. Lance's oh. yacht. Oh, man. It's just, it's just like a cardboard container with a popsicle stick and a little napkin on it for a sail. Is that what it is? One year, one year when our youth group was going to Hume Lake, they built a soggy bottom boat. Have you heard of those soggy no, bottom boats? No. It's all out of cardboard and styrofoam. And that would be my yacht. That's Lance's <laughs> yacht. And it's constantly streaming the Richard Simmons audio the of the Old Testament. Testament. The Richard Simmons sweat to the OT. In the beginning. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we'll go with it, Mike. Go with no, it. No, I'm, I'm stopping there. I'm stopping myself. So, pastors in the room, any last words of encouragement on pastoral authority um, from the experience of Pastor Tom with where we're at? Just a little elevator pitch. If we're going to give 30 seconds to somebody on this topic of pastoral authority, Jeff, what would you say to a person and Lance, and we'll wrap it up. 
what just has been coming to my heart is just to maintain a high view of the church. This is the the royal priesthood. This is the bride of Christ. This is that which is treasured in the heart of the Messiah. And so we are to be respectful of her, and we are to love her in the love that the Spirit of God gives to her. She's not our possession. She's his possession, and we are a part of that. And it's just a, a great privilege, and we need to ask God to help us to be strong and gracious in the way that we treat his woman. She belongs to him. Amen. And I would say with a, a high view of the church, we need to couple that with a not so high view of ourselves <laughs> <laughs> and realizing uh, that we are in need of grace uh, as much, uh, perhaps even more than uh, some of our, uh, of our congregants are and uh, that we are spiritual equals. It's not our, it's not our job to, you know, to place ourselves up on a pedestal, but to, to come under the authority of Christ, to recognize our sinfulness and our need for, uh, for grace and salvation uh, poured out on us in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. So with that, this has been Rants and Revelations. If you enjoyed the content you've heard, like and subscribe. Tell somebody about it. Share it up. Share that thing up. Get it out there. With that, I'm Steve. I'm Mike. I'm Lance. Jeff. All right, we'll catch you next time.